0: buddies, welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions. Uh, coming to you today from the Frank Observer Podcast studio inside the Desperate Visions compound, tucked away in Northern California, where we are editing two films presently uh, and nearing some good stages on the editing process, and that would be Lady Hyde, and Emmanuel in Sin City. Uh, and I look forward to those coming next year, early to mid-2022, from Desperate Visions Productions. So, with that out of the way, uh, I bring to you episode 64, film 64, Le Grand Emerduces. This is another France production, um... Another Compte of François, so yeah, that makes their deal there with um, Robert D. Nassel. That's who it was, yeah. Anyway, so, all right, so this is France, 1974, Les Grandes and Reduces. Um, <clears throat> original theatrical title in country of origin, Les Grandes and Reduces, The Colossal Bloody Nuisances. Uh, alternative titles, uh, Sexy A go Italian Theatrical, which on a side note I have um a collection of um lobby cards. Actually more they're the bigger ones, uh like four uh like t- two folds. So yeah, they're like uh, really great good sized lobby cards. I think I got like six different ones of those from uh Sexy Gogo. So those are pretty cool. Sexy Gogo was the Italian theatrical version and then the Belgian theatrical title was Little Vixens Make Big Trouble klein fixen maken heibel Unconfirmed titles, uh, Les Emreduces, French Alternative Theatrical, and Les Joyces, uh, the merry ones. Production company and theatrical distributor are both Comptour Francois, de film production out of Paris. Uh, shooting date on this is circa July slash August of 1974, French visa issued March 26th of 75. France played March 26th, 75. So, uh, eight, uh, four, so five, like nine, about nine months between, uh, production, wrapping and hitting the screen. So yeah, very good. These come to a while work, we're quick with their turnarounds. Um, they had a good in, in-house staff, as you'll see coming up in the credits, uh, France, okay, like I said, March 26th, Italy played G- G- Genova uh, March 4th of 1981, about six years later. Uh, theatrical running time on it is 83 minutes. Cast, Pamela Stanford, plays Tina. Lina Rome plays Pina, Tina and Pina. And Monica Swim plays Kashfi. Bigotini plays Bigotini, Interpool Agent double O 69. Wow. Uh, Ramon Arded plays Interpol agent Ramon Perez, uh, Lisa Ferreira as Lisa Franval plays Lola, AKA Pat Martin. Uh, Willie Brock plays insurance agent posing as Raddick uncredited. Victor Mendez plays Mr. Raddick. There's Raddick again. Uh, Suzuki plays Raddick's girlfriend. Victor Mendez's girlfriend. Jess Franco appears finally again as Martin Lemont of Interpol. Yeah, he took a couple of films off, so here he is on the screen again. Credits, director Jess Franco. Screenplay, adaptation, and dialogue by David Kuhn, which, of course, is Jess Franco. Director of photography, Etienne Rosenfeld. Okay, and here's where we get the house cast. Uh, Editor, Luis Solanes. Music, Andre Benicio, presented by i.e., producer Robert D. Nessel. production manager Jacques Garcia, production secretary Ferdinand Mayer, assistant director Richard D. Connect, aka Bigotini, uh, a- agent 0069, <laughs> those fucking stupid, I'm gonna start using that now, uh, trainee director Jacques Nicollet, music production Andre Benincio, Jacques Nicollet, uh, trainee editor Agnes Picard, well, I have a lot of work on. It. Trainees on this one. Sound Recorder, jean Jean-Claude Marconetti, Color Eastman, Lab, Netre Film, Uncredited, photographer Ramon Ardid. And uh, Murderous Passions, Stephen Thrower, Volume 1, The Delirious Films of Jess Franco. And this is actually the last film in the book that wraps up Volume 1. So the next film, uh, Justine Giulietta, uh, uh, that's um, the first film in the next volume, Volume 2. All right, so he writes, Review, Le Grand Merduces is an almost indescribable oddity that has to be seen to be believed. It's one of those loose, playful films in which you're invited to watch Franco and his cast simply daydream a movie into existence on the most threadbare of budgets with the minimum of preparation. We see Jess and Lena, Rome, and a few regular compadres, Pamela Stanford, Monica Swim, Big Ramon Ardid, Wandering between hotel rooms and seaside locations in the middle of the swinging 70s, fucking and chatting and fooling around, set to a wonderful jazz rock soundtrack by 1974's Top of the Franco Pops, Andre Bennett and Narrative tropes derived from crime and espionage. Potboilers jostle with softcore pornography and horror conveyed with freewheeling surrealism. Abstract and blissful, far out and funny. This is Franco '70s style. Just Franco's films often make you feel as though you're astral traveling, and I just—I don't just mean the overtly psychedelic ones. I'm thinking of the unsung titles, the unhinged Thursday afternoon shooting, any old thing. One's weird little obscurities hiding between the notorious movies. Lex Grandem Reduces is psychedelic in an unique ineffable way watching it is like dangling your lazy thoughts over the edge of a hotel bed on a hot summer evening and gazing at the starry sky while Lena romay and pamela stanford muck around pretending to be criminal lesbian extortionists or something of that sort pamela wears a frankly insane carnival cat mask and an all-in-one leopard skin stretched outfit looking as though she stepped straight out of an italian fumetti a light breeze carries the elusive bouquet of a faraway year. 1974, the year of Terry Jack's Seasons in the Sun, Charles Aznavour's She, Barry White's You're My First, My Last, My Everything, We're somewhere in Portugal on the coast with the sense of the evening heat soaking through the celluloid. The steamy, dreamy, verte sensation is amplified by the opening scene in which Lena and Pamela talk directly to camera before showing off their pussies. Beat that a Jean Luc Godard. Amen. Monica Swim turns up as a marcuse spouting intellectual lesbian with stolen diamonds hidden in her strap on, and there are numerous softcore clinches with the emphasis firmly girl on girl. Romeo and Stanford enjoyed frequent fondling and frottages together. Just when you're getting bored in this sweltering hotel nowhere, just as the sex scenes begin to drag and your spirit feels like drifting away to look for the pool or the bar, the film mutates in that curious narcotic fashion that Franco does so well, from a dreamy crime romp into a horror film, with torture by soldering iron and the surprise appearance of some kind of monster. This Monster du Der Stein tries to rape Lina Rome. But the assault doesn't quite go to plan the creature loses control of the situation and ends up getting humped by lena instead suddenly we're racing pell-mell to the climax the monster turns up on the villain victor mendez playing another of franco's evil radics who responds by trying to crush it with his enormous belly the monster thumps him on top of his balding head a cartoon style riposte that sums up the loopy derangement of the film with everyone appearing to contribute random crazy ideas. Of course, the girls get the last laugh, and we return to the same hotel room we saw at the start of the film from where Lena and Pamela wave goodbye. Cut, voyeur, grins Pamela Stanford to the camera as we leave them to journey on through the night. La Grande M reduces the big bloody nuisances, may not be in the same league as A Virgin Among the Living Dead or Lorna the Exorcist, and it's certainly not trying to make you think, but it's one of my all-time favorite Franco films and it seems to convey the underlying ethos of his work perfectly. It's an example of Franco simply cranking the camera and letting go with his imagination, determined that as much as possible of life should be spent making a movie he's telling a story here almost involuntarily just riffing on the sheer physical pleasure of cinema living it and breathing it and getting away with it you watch a movie like this and wish that your own lazy days could be so productive and magical lena's in a playful mood the champagne flows the summer's warm and the air is filled with the prospect of sex dreamy and crazy in that insidious franco way La Grande and Reduces is another serotipitous little marvel in the Labyrinth filmography. Wow, it sounds really good. Yeah, I have yet to watch it. I'm going to be watching it soon. Uh, Franco on screen. A small but amusing role for Franco, playing a foul-tempered Interpol boss who yells furiously at the hapless secret agents played by Bigotini and Ramon Ardid. Music. If you love Andre Benecho's themes from Le Gluttons and Les Mere Obscene, then you need to see this film, as the same basic tunes are reused and re recorded in numerous arrangements. We hear a version of the Mir Obscene riff, Dutch guitar, bass drums, and ham and organ, which turn into an extensive workout that sounds uncannily like something Dutch prog rock focus might have created at the time. Uh, an untempo Spanish guitar version can be heard as Pina seduces a man in the hotel room. Victor Mendez plays another version on the piano. The theme is also rescored for electric guitar, piano, bass, and vibes, and a smoky barroom jazz piano adds yet another variation. Also featured prominently is the effortless psychedelic jazz rock number previously heard in the Paris nightlife scene from Les Jean Sûres. The credits, however, unspool to a jaunty new show piece for rhythm guitar and piano. Locations shot chiefly at the Portuguese seaside town of Estrol, Radix beachside castle, where it, the Dernstein monster attacks Tina, is the Pari de Tamaris in Estoril. Some of the interiors were filmed, as so often, at the Palacio Conde Castro Gomieres in Cascais. The large stone mansion on the coastline, visible in the background during the sequence in which Tina has her rendezvous with Kashfi, is the Duke de Pamela Palace in Estrol. Connections: the title may have been inspired by *Le Emredir the Troublemaker, a comedy by Eduardo Morleiano uh, I'm sorry, Bolinero, starring Lino Ventura and Jacques Brel, released in September 1973. Other versions, all right. Uh, this allegedly played French sex cinemas as both les imréduces and les grands imréduces, but the only home entertainment version anywhere in the world is the French video release from the early '80s, which uses the longer title. Some sources have listed a third variant, les petites viciuses font. Les Grandes M. Reduces. This, however, is based on the misapprehension of the Belgian poster, in which the actual title, Les Grandes Reduces, is preceded by a strap line reading Les Petites Vicious Fonts, roughly translated The Little Ones Are Vicious. Uh, the film is not to be confused with Les M. Reduces, a 2009 French porno directed by Fabien Leflot. Problematic. IMDb currently lists actor Fred Williams, who does not, in fact, appear. So, yeah, that's not good. All right, so yeah, I think that's all he has written on this a lot of really cool pictures uh, You see uh Pamela Stanford with her cool wig again, so the the curly one um yeah, so cool. I look forward to that um also too just gonna mention uh I added a donation button on the franco observer podcast so um so um anyone feel free to donate on there or um either as one time thing or all the time or whatever so it's it's there if you want it um, if you dig the show and everything uh, I'm not going to do any exclusive content or do anything like that I'm just going to have a donation button that's about it so yeah if you donate or not I'm still doing the show but uh, thought I'd throw it up there as an extra income source of some kind so alrighty well thank you very much for listening and uh, once again this is Les Grand and Reduces uh, episode 64 so alrighty looks like we're getting pretty close there so alrighty uh cool hang out and listen oh yeah the version on this we have is um like they're saying the eighties uh version um and uh that's really all that's available it, it it they really should put it out on blu-ray you know severin should really take a run and put this out I don't know why they don't um I'm sure it's a money thing but you know he'll put all the Franco films out. And of course, you know, our mission statement, bringing new eyes and ears to Just Franco's films in memory. Actually, let's it right here. Praise and memory of Just Franco, bringing the names and films of Just Franco to new eyes and ears, which we do. So, all right, well, I think that's enough for me rambling here. Uh, uh, 16 minutes, not bad. Usually try to make this around 20 to 25, something like that, so. We're a little bit light on that. But, uh, yeah, there's not not a lot of text on this. Um, The review will be longer because uh, the synopsis looks like it's quite wordy. And uh, I'm sure we're going to have a good time watching this and uh, talking about it. So what we lack on the front end, we will bring on the rear end. Um, Insert your joke there. So, alrighty, Adios. Hey, buddies. Welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group that we are in the middle right now of doing editing on Lady Hyde and Emmanuel in Sin City. And I am lucky today to be joined on uh, this um, episode 64, film 64, La Grande and Reduces with a fellow filmmaker that is in both films, Lady Hyde and Emmanuel in Sin City, Mr. Bob Moritz.
1: Hi Jason, thanks for having me again.
0: Thank you for coming out to the Desperate Visions compound this time, Uh, your second appearance on the show, first time Zoom, and this time you made it to the compound to watch La Grande and Reduces, and I think you were um, mesmerized and dazed by this film, am I correct?
1: It was really an experience. I awesome. Mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're just saying, I was saying how it would be hard to sit through sober, but then chemicals also kind of, you don't know. I don't even know what to say about it.
0: Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe what the synopsis of the film is. And then sometimes on this part of the film, as uh, part of the podcast, when I describe the film, sometimes the co-reviewer learns parts of the film they didn't catch through the synopsis so maybe this will help you with the uh, the um, breaking down of the film, see what you think So, alright, here's the synopsis according to Stephen Thrower uh, this is uh, Murderous Passions the delirious cinema of Jesus Franco, volume 1 so he writes let's see here, he writes um, Pina and Tina are two ex-strippers and con artists who say they now work for Interpol in flashbacks we discover how this happened in antofagasta chile pina and tina posing as individual posing as an individual using the name the golden panther pick up a man named carmen and force him at gunpoint to reveal the whereabouts of a cache of jewels he has stolen from a millionaire called radic he tells them that they are in the hands of someone called kashfi the girls telephone radic as the golden panther and claim to have the jewels, which they offered to sell back to him for $200,000. Meanwhile, two Interpol agents, Agent Perez and Agent Bigotini, agent number 0069, are watching their every move. The girls head for Portugal and set up a meeting with Kashfi, who turns out to be a woman. Tina and Kashfi have sex. Just as Kashfi is about to use a strap-on dildo on Tina, Pina arrives and knocks her out cold. Tina is annoyed, but soon cheers up when they discover the diamonds are hidden inside the strap-on. With the jewels concealed in their vaginas, they head to Portugal, where they plan to meet Radic, and conclude the deal. However, Radic has offered $100,000 to a hit woman called Lola, a.k.a. Pat Martin, if she can trap the Golden Panther and recover the diamonds. Radic's Asian assistant takes Lola upstairs to see a hulking facially deformed man called the Monster of Durenstein, whom she keeps locked up. She tells Lola he is dangerous to most people, but not to her, as he's her brother. Oblivious of Radix's counterplan, Pina and Tina perform their nightclub act. In the audience, unaware of each other, are Lola and the two Interpol agents. Wearing Arabic costumes, Pina and Tina have a drink with the Interpol men. Tina goes back to the hotel room while Pina seduces Lola stereotypically removing the gun that the assassin wears strapped to her leg. However, Lola hypnotizes Pina and makes her a slave. Tina turns up with a gun and bashes Lola over the head, only to find that Pina is still under her influence and merely repeats everything she says. The next day, Agents Perez and Bigotini wake up with bad hangovers to discover that Tina has gone. They get a phone call from Tina disguising her voice, telling them the location of the golden panther arriving at this specified location they instead find lola who is just regaining consciousness they try to arrest her but she overpowers them and escapes tina and pina perform their act again and wait for radic to turn up at the nightclub as arranged a sinister man falsely claiming to be radic arrives and orders a bottle of Dom domperion the girls go back to his house with him Tina is unsure if he really is Radic, but Pina says if he has the money, then fair enough. The man asks which of them is the Golden Panther. They ask him if he is Radic. When he says yes, they go to the bathroom and extract the diamonds from each other's vaginas, putting them in an empty cigarette packet, which they give to the man. He examines the diamonds and approves them, thanking them for their help. They ask him for the money, and he says he is not Radic but an insurance agent. Tina pulls a gun on him, but he overpowers her. The three of them struggle until Lola turns up with a gun, knocking the two girls out. Bigotini and Perez turn up and hold them at gunpoint, taking the diamonds from the insurance agent. Lola, however, believes that the Interpol men are really associates of the Golden Panther and that the girls still know the location of the diamonds. She hands Pina off to I'm sorry she hauls Pina off to Radix Castle in Portugal, and tortures her to make her reveal where the diamonds are hidden. Radic watches, laughing. He fetches the Dernstein monster, and Lola threatens to turn it loose on Pina if she doesn't spill the beans. Tina, in her cat disguise, arrives at the castle and attempts to scale the walls. Perez and Bigotini also turn up. However, Pina is doing all right without assistance. She turns the tables, seducing the monster and having wild sex with him. The monster attacks and kills his sister, Lola, and Radic, and is about to carry Pina away, when Tina arrives and shoots him. A shame, says Pina. He was cute. The two cops arrive. At last, nothing, announces Bigotini. They all laugh. We became good friends, Tina's voiceover tells us, and thanks to them, we became agents of the law. All right, Bob, so what did you think of the film?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I gotta say, after that uh, description... It, two things came to my mind. One is that uh, uh, even though it comes off like it, it's a bunch of bullshit, uh-huh. uh, obviously, Jesus Franco spent a lot of time and effort and and really try to dot his eyes and cross his t's, making like a, a really intricate and right. Uh, all the
0: pieces fit together.
1: Books. Yeah, the pieces. Fit together, you got. That's exactly it. Right. So, so it's like uh, uh, that's one thing, and the other thing that that kind of blows me away about it. Oh, I forgot what that other thing was, but it was kind of similar. It'll come back to me. Well,
0: no, and what's cool is uh, that they shot this like it says circa July, August '74, and and he has. Um, Legrand's In Reduces almost an describable oddity that has to be seen to believe. It's one of those loose, playful films in which you're invited to watch Franco and his cast simply daydream a movie into existence, on the most threadbare of budgets, with a minimum of preparation. We see Jessalina, Romain, and a few compadres wandering between hotel rooms and seaside locations in the middle of the swinging 70s, fucking and chatting and fooling around, set to a wonderful jazz-rock soundtrack by 1974's Top of the Franco Pops, Andre Benicio. Narrative tropes derived from crime and espionage. Uh, let's see. Espionage. Pop boilers jostle with softcore pornography and horror conveyed with freewheeling surrealism. Abstract and blissful, far out and funny, this is Franco's 70s style. So yeah, that's that's a good thing. It's just very playful and like you said, you just kind of like break it together and hit a few certain points um i'm gonna go over the list of all the stuff that you see in a lot of franco films the franco list and uh we'll kind of go over that because he definitely hits a lot of that with with this film and uh what he decides to do you know um so on this we have um number one uh body of water Uh, we see body of water uh, it takes a while but we see it later on in the film along with sailboat um actually just just a boat uh, number four palm trees. I don't see palm trees in here. Or number five jungle, uh jungle sound effects. Uh number six, chained up person. Yeah, Lena is chained up later on in the film as a prisoner of uh the monster of Dernstein. Uh actually she's tortured with a um a um, hair a hair uh roller, I guess you roll your hair with what's that called? Uh uh curling iron. Curling iron. Curling iron, curling iron yeah. He has a curling iron.
1: That, that scene was wild with the, the uh, using the curling iron as a- yeah
0: so like Lena's uh chained up and Ooh. she has like the curling iron and like sticks it up in her and like burns her breast and burns her stomach and 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 like really puts and it to lena with the curling south. iron yeah 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 Golly. yeah so it work, works over Lena with the with the hot curling iron which well, I think they use like in jail movies later on and stuff but uh, yeah you see that up here
1: there's uh, one where there's like a, I, I don't know you know everybody's got their thing but the uh, cigarette smoking through the, the the bottom half, it's it was like wow that that's uh, what
0: what, what I mean. scene it was uh, in this film. I
1: I, shoot, I think it was one of the. Oh ones yeah, well no,
0: the, well, there's a scene when the guy what was Bob well, Bob there's a, well there's a well oh, there's oh 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 and that one yeah 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 yeah. Uh, uh well that one Barbara doll she has her uh, liquor culo and after she takes that really bad shit in that one and then also there's a cigarette I think I forgot what the cigarette one is but but yeah that that one definitely had that one. Because uh, she's like really evil in that one. Um, uh, so we have uh, number seven dance scenes on stage stripping. Yeah, we have two. They, actually, it's one scene, but they show it twice. It's uh, Lena in a cat, or uh, Lena and Pamela Stanford. One's cat, and the other's like a bird. They have these really cool masks on. And uh, like I was telling Bob before, he always has really cool, interesting strip club sequences that are almost devoid of any eroticism or any kind of sexual. Uh, intrigue or anything, they're just very bizarre, almost uh, avant-garde kind of like art pieces unto itself, you know Lena with the statue, Empress Lesbos, the woman statue one, uh, Succubus, uh, a lot of just bizarre, crazy ones uh, Nightmares Come at Night Oswana um, and so forth, so yeah he definitely likes to do that uh, number 8, club scenes, dancing, yes there's scenes where people are in a dance club uh, dancing around um Number nine, jazz music, very much so. Really good jazz music in this. Um, number ten, excessive zooms. Yeah, we have quite a few zooms, which leads to number eleven, out of focus shots. We counted quite a quite a quite a handful of uh, excessive zoom or uh, out of focus shots on this one. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of a lot of facial out of focus shots. Uh, Twelve mirror shots, a few mirror shots, not not too much. Um, number thirteen, mind control theme. Yes, uh, the female agent has like this hypnosis power she puts lena under under mind control uh number which leads speaking of lena number 14 magic tongue scenes yes lena uses her magic tongue quite a few times in this film and uh she really plays with the magic tongue and really flaunts it in a few scenes it's really funny to open the film and close the film actually uh, fifteen red light correct one. Uh, there's a scene where Pamela Stanford and uh, Monica Swim are getting it on before the dildo comes out, and there's a red light in the reflection in the mirror or in the doorway and in the room. Um, so we have that number sixteen sheepskin rug. No, or masturbation with a C item. No masturbation with C item. A lot of masturbating, but no C item. C- like like, like the letter L- C. L- well, there's always, well, during the Irwin C. Dietrich films, a bunch of them had C items like a cigarette, a oh, candle, like a cross, letter. yeah, the letter C, and it was always, and it was weird, it was always C items when you counted out, it was like, you know, a cigar, it was like always C, C, I well, think it's started strange like, to
1: me, you got, you've got this list right. that seems like, you know, you're compiling it by watching the movies, but it almost seems like he's intentionally right checking off like things. Well,
0: it's almost like a cook like you have a recipe for a, a certain food you like to make and you know you have you got to include your hamburger you got to include your flour you got to include your this or that or for you know pepper yeah yeah for and reason. and and maybe instead of meat in this one I'll use you know vegetarian or I'll, in it but it's the same I'll still throw in the certain spices i use or the certain things so yeah he definitely has a list that some films have more of the items and others, and some you start seeing the the trend. So it just you know.
1: With this book, I mean, I know the author. I like the author's work, but I, I feel like do these. I mean, are we just making this stuff up? you, you know what I mean. Like 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 he he's such a free form crazy wild artist. Like like Jandek or something, mm-hmm. where you listen to Jandek and you're like, is is this guy full of shit? Or is well, really but I think
0: if you repeat things. And as a Franco observer, you observe patterns, you observe things, and it's almost like an archaeologist. Ar- uh, like you start seeing the, the like it's the patterns of the certain things he does. And you start seeing the same things show up over and over again, and other people have that same certain thing. So it's like a certain. I don't know. I think if it's a pattern that repeats, then it certainly is a pattern. And even if you go off that pattern, if it's still there, it's there, you know. But. As you are saying as well, you know, and, he, and there's other things where he'll go very rare on this, but there's definitely a, a certain items that he likes to use all the time, you know. And I guess you could say that about your films or my films, too, oh, if he you yeah. send down a bail out and certain things, you know.
1: And it's like, and I think, you know, for me, Franco, we were talking about how, he makes you feel like free to do whatever you want to do even if it seems like it's the wrong thing to do like i have this one friend who after he's done with the movie he throws away all the props because those props were for that movie right they don't need to be reused for something else for something else i get other things but i keep everything and i keep bringing everything back on the same way yeah yeah and i obsess over the same kinds of themes and I don't know. I just can't help myself. Now it's well, funny that people think
0: that way. Like, I'm not naming names, but there was a gal who's an actress, and uh, I had another gal wear a, an outfit that, that she had worn in a film for a photo shoot. And I didn't think nothing of it. It was just a piece of clothing, you know. And she contacted me, like, in an email. was like, hey, you know, you really shouldn't use that. It kind of takes away from the, from the outfit from the movie, and it kind of, like, lessens it, blah, 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 blah. And it's iconic and this and that. And so I was like, well... I don't know, to me it's just a piece of clothing, it's not anything, you know, it's not going to be hung up in a case for nobody to ever use again or something. I think if it's something like that, it's, it's got a life to it and, you know, you can use it in different ways and whatever, you know.
1: Well, yeah, it's like you don't, it's like, hey, I wrote a song using the G chord doesn't mean I'll never use the G chord again. Right, right. I'll be stupid, or yeah. I'm not going to paint red because I used red in this painting. Right,
0: know, exactly. I know. It's just like, well, it's like, you know. Different content. Yeah. yeah, and, and like Franco whatever. will use the same last name over and over again, or he'll use certain wigs or certain boots and stuff. And I think as a fan, you, oh, oh, there's those pair of boots again. And he was in this film, this film, this film, that film. And, and uh, people like us catch that shit. And I mean, it's like... Easter eggs and it's it's a positive thing and not a negative thing like oh he's using that again he has no money it's like oh, yeah. oh he's using that again and it was in this this and this you know
1: but I think it's also kind of neat if it's just that well that those were his wife's boots
0: right right that's what they had and you know yeah. it, it, well, it's, it's just practical it, he didn't real see real
1: life weaving in with the mythology of the
0: cinema yeah yeah and if something looks good and you know people aren't keeping especially back then people weren't keeping yeah. track of oh you, you you use these boots in these films if home video didn't exist in those days and you would see these films in a theater and it'd be gone in a week later and you wouldn't see it again for years and years later or something and you're you know, keeping track yeah
1: where it would stay in your memory like Wait, this happened, and then you talk to a friend, and he's all, "No, this happened," and then you see the movie when it's on cable, and you're all, "No, it was different." Right, you know, right. You remember I it differently. Remember they yeah, remembered it's it was kind of cool. You know, right?
0: Maybe it's a cable cut, or it's a, yeah. or maybe you don't know if it's a different version, or if it's just your imagination, or, or if you filled it in, or, or however it went. You know. Um. All right. Well, back to the list. Uh. Number seventeen, Mad Scientist. Yeah, because there was a monster of Dernstein Who but made even. Him, though? But, he, yeah, but and that was her brother, which I didn't know that until reading oh, that synopsis. Oh. She said, oh, that's my Sorry, brother. that. I
1: don't know how that detail escaped I know. Me. I didn't
0: catch that. I was reading the synopsis and it was her brother. So, But, I don't know. I think that there's a monster. then There has to be a mad scientist, even though we didn't see him. So, I don't know. I think it's maybe a push on that one.
1: He's got, like, three warts on his face. And he's like, uh, he's a yeah, monster. Yeah, he
0: had some uh, hair, uh, <laughs> uh, spirit gummed on his chest. It's pretty bad. And, yeah, it was, it was very cut-ranked Frankenstein. It's almost like a Italian strongman, but without the muscles. Yeah, they so. weren't even trying. Yeah, uh, I know he's probably like you know assistant cameraman or something. Like,
1: Get up there, Luigi. Come on. Bigotini's
0: nephew. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, number eighteen fish tank shots. No uh, talking parrot or talking animals. No, none of this Damn, one.
1: Damn, I love
0: those. I know, and I he he does that later on, but not too much in here. Uh, number twenty end credits. Yes or no? I think so. I, I saw the uh, yeah, yeah. There was. There?
1: Yeah, well, oh, you're right. There was.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it said the end, but I know it had end credits yeah. of, of the, of the, music the titles. In like yeah. This totally.
1: Weird blue velvety kind of texture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, 21. Uh,
0: handwritten note or sign of any kind. I didn't catch that in this film. Uh, spiral Staircase. No. Um, 22. Inept Cops. Yes. <laughs> Bigotini and. In, in, uh, and 0069 and um, Ramon Ardid's character are very inept, very bumbling. A lot of the stuff didn't work. And finally, number 24, Belly Chains. Yes, the uh, assassin, the hypnotist woman, wore a gold belly chain. So, And that was toward the end of the film that all that popped up. Um, I made a couple notes here. Uh, on this film, you have like 42 seconds in, you get the first nudity. And of course, it's Lena's um, hash brown on full display. Uh, next to Pamela Stanford showing uh, for a burger as well. So you have that right off the bat. Um, I liked um, her cool cat suit. She uh, Pamela Stanford was sneaking around in this cat suit with this cool, like, 70s kind of a helmet, which you could tell was, like, homemade with, like, glue on, kind of, like, diamonds or different jewels or uh, sparkly stuff. I thought that are really kind of a cool 70s style of, like, trying to make a monster or something. Um, this film had a really weird dubbing. Um, Victor Mendez's dubbing was really weird, and his uh, Asian, I guess, girlfriend or sidekick or whatever she was, they dubbed both their voices really like squeaky and kind of high. It's like,
1: hello, how are you doing? I'm very... He was
0: almost like very helium-ish kind of. Uh, we didn't know which one was more comical, him or her, you know.
1: It's like jarring even for like a, a Franco movie, you know? Yeah. Or like... You expect things like that, but that that was like...
0: Uh, yeah, the dubbing all around this was pretty bad. I mean, Lena's was okay. Pamela Stanford's was decent. But other than that, it was just like Bigotini's was kind of goofy. Franco's was okay, but the, the, those two were just so comical and like...
1: You think they were speaking French and yeah, French.
0: Yeah, yeah, No, know. I mean, Lena was dubbed because you could see there they weren't... Sing, unless it was just a bad print and they weren't synced right, but... I'll have to watch it again on C. So many things. Yeah, because I mean, this is a France production. It was in France, is is the country of origin and everything. So, um,
1: just the the garbage, you know, how these reels must have been treated. Yeah. Like and, oh yeah. That uh, kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, because copy we watched, we think was uh, I don't even think it was even on VHS. It's probably off of a, a sixteen millimeter. It's a DVD copy off of that. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this will be put on Blu-ray or whatever, but. I mean, yeah.
1: I don't know. Jason, do you think a Criterion collection would put
0: this no, out? No, but uh, Severance should, man. I mean, they put out all the Franco stuff anyway, and you know, I mean, it's soft core. They put out Shining Sex and and uh, other stuff that's way more extreme than this. So I, I they could put this out. I, I don't know how well it would sell, but you know, do do a limited run of a thousand copies. It would sell a thousand copies it's easy. You
1: I'm know. to say though, if they put out, if Criterion put out a Doris Wishman collection. They can put out Yeah,
0: but that's still not out though, I don't think. No,
1: it's out. They had it. I have it. Oh, did it come out finally? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's a I don't know, maybe it's like some dumb bootleg or something, but it was like Criterion Yeah, cards. no, I remember
0: they were talking about it, they were gonna do it, and it was on the Criterion Channel, but I don't know if they actually they pulled the trigger on that yet. Maybe
1: someone I, just compiled I mean, Well they, they did Andy
0: Milligan them. and all that other stuff, but yeah, but but I yeah. Think, uh,
1: could happen, it, but it like what the hell? What I know. Is well,
0: Criterion's very. I don't know. They're, yeah, if if they do her, I mean, but Criterion doesn't do HG Lewis. They don't do John Waters. They, oh no, actually, they do do John Waters. They oh, do yeah. polyester and Yeah, so yeah, so, yeah, yeah Waters, so yeah, 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 yeah. So I take that back. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, they should, but I don't know. Franco's not really yet. Well, I mean, he's an artsy director in his earlier films, yeah, but, but these films, but this film would never be a criterion. Film. No, no. It doesn't, no, it doesn't hit any of those. But then heads. what I mean,
1: well, well, the reason I brought up Doris Wishman is because those movies are also like. Similar.
0: Right. New to the moon and, and, and they're stuff. They're different.
1: Yeah. They're a little more direct in their approach, I guess. You know, they're. Yeah. Bad Girls Go to Hell was yeah.
0: more like that. Yeah.
1: It's more like Catholic guilt or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, Bad Girls Go to Hell is definitely Catholic yeah, guilt. So yeah. Yeah. What um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked also was the disguising the voices on the phone was pretty funny um, as this is a red lips film you I saw a lot of the same red lips motifs uh, some of the same tropes they used in the other films like the pinching the nose doing a close clothespin on the nose and and putting something over, like a cloth over the mouth to disguise the voice and even though the voice doesn't change it's supposed to change over the other side um, we caught a uh, a reflection in the car windshield uh, of either the cameraman or Franco could catch real quick, but we definitely saw the person with the greasy hair hanging down. Um, I think it was Franco. It looked like it, yeah. Um, we had the diamond smuggling scene with Lena. I liked; It was really cool. It was like they both sat there and they uh, put the little diamond in the, like the tweezers and then showed sort of like stick it between their legs. And then the other girl sat on the toilet. And it was her turn, and I liked that. It was just such goofy, dumb scene. It was really funny, um, and also. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about the the pillow on Lena's face scene. You said, oh, what we'll to talk about that scene.
1: Oh, well, just the artfulness with which it was rendered. It was like a fellow strangling Desdemona, where you see exactly what you, you wanted to see, and you don't see the things that are going to detract from the scene like any sort of, you know, realistic strangulation. Right. Yeah. Instead, you get like a, you know... the, the Every inch. Yeah, you see. Right in their face, see, writhing around. Right. You see
0: Lena's, one of Lena's best sides.
1: It was, it was, Right yeah. there on the camera.
0: And it's interesting, too, like knowing the whole facet behind this, because, like, I, he was asking me about this time about Franco and Lena, and Franco hadn't been with Lena yet, and she's still with Ramon did and stuff, and it's, it's like you see him just infatuated with Lena's body. He just keeps peeking around and seeing seeing her and zooming in on her crotch, and just, he's just, he's fascinated with her body, and he just keeps wanting to, like, peak and you see the voyeurism in him as a as a camera operator and everything just staying on that and just being fascinated by that and even with other gals you see him kind of peeking around we were laughing certain shots he goes right for the woman's crotch shots of the camera and stuff or giggling on some of that stuff but with Lena, you could tell he's he's very infatuated with her and and seeing how she gives everything to him and and like i was saying to bob earlier it's like as a director, it's so important to have somebody like her as your lead because she's just she is the, she is the power source. She's the power pack, and she keeps all those films going. And you can tell like those two just clicked, and and that that fascination. And it's almost better that the films they did before they got together because they still had that power. And then once they got together, it was still good and stuff. But they kind of lost that that power once they hooked up, you know. But uh, but yeah, that's that's for another day. But but yeah, it was cool watching that, and also too. I liked how this had a this was like a monster film where they had the monster came out, and then they had like the big showdowns like Lena fucked the monster, and the monster started off like raping Lena, but then she ended that up,
1: line about the, the monster will we will rape you with the monster yeah
0: we, yeah, <laughs> yeah we will rape you with the monster Le, or Pina or Tina or her name was and then uh and I was told like, oh, yeah, this is like when the two monsters fight, and of course Lena's like the total sexual dynamo that you know nobody can outfuck fuck Lena so it's like the monster's like alright bring him on so Lena fucks the Frankenstein monster and of course Lena takes control and then uh, has the monster under her under her wing and now she turns the monster against her uh, captors and the monster uh, just like any monster does turns against its makers and cleans house and uh, all hell breaks loose in the traditional universal sense and uh of course, the monster goes away with Lena, and the cops, being inept, shoot the monster who's trying to save Lena because she falls in love with the monster, but he's the monster, so they still kill him without talking to him or giving him any reason or any any kind of uh, out, you know. So, but uh, yeah, so they they kill the poor monster, and Lena thought he was cute after a while and, and dug him. So that was kind of funny. But uh, is there any any notes or anything you want to add on that, Bob?
1: It was a weird. It was a more innocent time. But then it's also strange how it's so much more restricted and uptight now. Yeah. Uh, Where we're now the, the things I, I see in that, even though it doesn't like, shock me, but like, thinking about it uh, with today's audience and, and my job, I work with people much younger than I so I can see through the perspective right. of other t- generations. Right and uh it's it's like rather shocking even though it's old and usually old stuff isn't as shocking you know like or in in our little limited 200 300 400 years of history that we really examine uh it's a weird thing seeing how different things are now
0: yeah it's almost with the Maybe outdated is uh, maybe not the right word, but an a antiquated way of thinking, but not done with malicious intent. But people see the malicious intent, I think, before they see any kind of, you know, antiquated thinking. They just see the the. Thing. Like, uh, for instance, the stuff with the raping and with the monster and that. It's just like the way that was brought up and how it's it's done. And it's done in a goofy way, but you can also see yeah, it in a, a different way as well. Innocence to it. Right. It's, it's, which is hard right. to
1: get offended by. I mean, it's just right. kind of dumb, right. but funny. And it's what the audiences were right for. But... but
0: somebody that's 18 or 20 could look at it yeah. in a totally different way yeah. and just not even see one... Drop of humor in yeah. it at all, yeah. and, or, or anything, and just okay, blah blah blah, and, and it just, it just feels to be banned or this or that or stuff. And I get it. That's yeah.
1: how it is. We see yeah. things differently from when we were born into, and I think it just kind of helps to just be open to how other people. So
0: yeah, no, and and things are up. things are of up. and things are of the times, yeah. and just as things are of those times, things are also of these times. And I think if people can be offended by things of those times, we have a right to be offended by things of these times as well. If we find something that's, like we're saying, like, oh, it's funny how people are cold or people find these things offensive to us, we find that offensive, whereas they find something that's devoid of a lot of things. Because you hear that all the time, oh, you couldn't make that film nowadays. You see that with a lot of things, and as time goes by, more and more films get added to that list, you know. And ones that you know just bizarre of one one scene or or one character or or even the whole film gets thrown into that bunch and so
1: yeah, and certain movies that like at the time seemed so benign and were just fun. Like looking back on it now, it's like wow. That like Breakfast Club is one where oh grew yeah, yeah. up with that it was just ha 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 right Long duck Dong hilarious Now right. it's like oh holy. Sh-
0: yeah, you see all the, oh, my God, blah, 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 he raped this person. There's yeah, yeah. That. Right, right. right, right, a lot of the same Soli stuff. So many levels of... And Blazing it. Saddles, and, and even the a lot of the drive-in films, they just, a lot of the stuff we like that, you know, they call her One Eye, or, or this or that, that you just could never do today, or or Born Innocent, or just so much stuff that you just couldn't...
1: see Fight for Your Life.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah, Yeah, that, yeah, yeah.
1: Talk um, about... Yeah.
0: Also called um, "Staying Alive" to cash in on the uh, oh "Saturday God. Night Fever" cash in too. You know, yeah, that's a great one with uh, William Sanderson. Yeah, good, yeah, good yeah. acting. That, that is, really that's a really good, good film. Acting. Yeah, it's another thing. It's just it's done for the product, but but uh, yeah. So, but no, I, I I liked this film, and I had, I had asked Bob to watch this uh, and be a guest on this one because. This is kind of a film that's almost made for filmmakers and for film fans because they look at the they they break that fourth wall and they, and they look at the camera and they talk about us as viewers and oh don't watch us anymore or or, or if you keep watching us we'll have to make this into an X rated film or if we go any further and so they're very coherent of people watching at home and they reference other film actors and other things that are popular at the time and, and other stuff so it's kind of a we're we're with them for the ride but they're also Putting on the story for us as well and the stuff and in the end it's just kind of a big laugh and it's just a kind of a total 70s kind of a um Kodorowski thing or something where it's a, like a film within a film and a doll doesn't mean something it doesn't mean anything it means everything and whatever like you a, know it's
1: like a greek chorus but yeah it's a very meta totally i mean uh but, but then i you know on tiktok i saw something about some show that was canceled like mid-episode, or it, did, it didn't get past the first commercial break. Wow. And the, it was, oh, I forgot the name of it, but it was... It was something it was, recent? No, it's old, like from 69 or something, Tim Conway was in Oh, it,
0: yeah, 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 the, the show, the... Turn on, or... The something show or something, I know you're talking about, yeah. The
1: concept was it was like a computer was creating the show yeah. on its own. And, and no, I, I've kind
0: of I read that somewhere. Yeah, it yeah. was like a short thing. I forgot how that. Yeah, it
1: reminds me of that spirit, you know. Yeah. where Hey, let's just do it because we can do it, and people don't really do it. So,
0: yeah, no, and there's I mean enough reason to do it. There's films that are similar to this that have so much more money that are way more incoherent, like skidoo for instance or somewhere oh, like, yeah, yeah. or something like that where it's like they had all this money all these actors and stuff and it's totally just like this where it's just yeah. bullshit it's just mugging around and this is made for probably you know a tenth of that if or the more, you footprint. know yeah yeah so there's and i appreciate that you
1: know? <laughs> like really why waste all that yeah you know <clears throat>
0: yeah no most definitely and it's just like you have your crew you have your people you have a couple locations that just shoot the stuff and and like you talked about, the really cool interiors and the cool exteriors, and 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 costumes,
1: just, the shoes. The oh yeah, yeah. Lamps, the decor.
0: Yeah, everything. Even Franco has a cool little scene in this. He has a one scene where he comes in and talks shit about Bigotini. Yeah. So you have Bigotini, who's Richard D. Connect, who's the assistant director, who also goes as Bigotini when he acts in the Franco films, and as this, he's actually built as Bigotini on screen as well, Agent 0069, which is funny. <laughs> but uh, I know it's like and that should give you a good glimpse of what type of humor this is you know but uh, but yeah no I, uh, I definitely enjoyed this film it didn't take itself, itself too seriously um, it had a lot of the same ideas of the list stuff. even the stolen diamonds too it's just a uh, familiar trope he uses later on quite a bit over and over again um, but no, I mean, I, I would definitely watch it again and I probably will watch it again. It's, it's, it's something fun in the background. Lena's Lena's green is fantastic. She has such a good spirit in this film and and uh, her and Pamela Stanford are a good team. They're both really sexy and nude in it probably like 90% of the time they're on screen. I think they're only in clothes for like a few seconds and they like quickly take them off and they're always talking about how they hate to wear clothes and stuff which is pretty funny.
1: It's a fun movie. It is. It's very
0: fun and it's it's hard to hate a film where people are having a good time, even if you don't like it or you don't listen. If people have a good time, you go, oh, you know, it's just like, hey, they're having a good time and it's fun, and it's, it doesn't harm anybody, and it's just, it's just fun. It's, it's harmless, you know.
1: That's so. one of the things I love about Franco is like good, bad, and different. His films always reflect a love and passion and a spirit of fun for the cinema. And yeah, that inspires. I mean, those are the things that inspire me to do it. Oh yeah. You know, even though it's like hard work on top of hard work that you don't really. Right.
0: You see anything come out of it or, I mean you have art and you come out of it. That's the main thing. But it was just like, yeah, watching these things, I always get inspired doing these podcasts or watching those things where I'm just like, I see that he just lives and breathes film and he's even doing it when he's not doing it. And it's like, that makes me just like want to edit something or write something down or stuff. And that's always the work of good art. So in the end, that's what art is, is to inspire people. And if it inspires you, then it's art. So, you know, that's, I think, the end, the end result of that, so, but, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, this is, uh, by this time, he's already doing, this is, like, film 64 in his career, so, I mean, God, I just think if you're doing 64 films this time, you should be able to, like, goof around and have a good time, and just fuck around if you want, here and there, you know, shit, you've already made 64 films, that's pretty fucking crazy, you know, so. so uh,
1: obsessive. with the way you say it, 14, 14 movies in,
0: Oh, yeah, so, okay, so this is, yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. So this is 1974, and let me tell you how many films. I think he did, like, 12 or 14 this year. Let me see. so
1: a movie a month. Yeah. Shot, edited, cast. Okay, so, 74,
0: he did Exorcism. He did Celestine. He did Lorna. He did Les Chantalise. He did um, Les Jeunes Seurs. He did Le like, Grand Dumber deuces. He did Juliet 69, which is Justine. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, just those. So he did seven. So one, two... Actually, Juliet is 75, so one, two, three, four, five, six films. But still, six films is pretty fucking crazy. Actually, 73, he did three, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen films. But, like, uh, twelve were released... So yeah, and then 75, 76, 77, yeah, so... But still, that's pretty goddamn crazy. Doing like that many films, yeah, so... It's
1: obsessive, it's like, what else? I mean, that's what I mean, like, I asked you earlier. Is it the movies, or is it the social, or like, uh, there must be... I mean, they're in all these exotic locations. Yeah. You know, uh, restaurants, and...
0: Well, I mean, it's a drug. I mean, even when we did these two films back-to-back, and at the end of the second film... I literally slept for like three days. I was so burned out after doing two films over like 15 days. But I was like, okay, what's the next one? And I, that's how he probably was going. Just like, you just want to do the next one, the next one, the next one. Cause you just, you're in that groove, you know? And when you get out of it now, I've been out of it for a few months. and I feel like it was two years ago, you yeah. know, even though it was just a few months ago, it's like you're in that, you're in the eye of the hurricane and, and, an and you want to stay in there. Zone. Yeah. yeah. And, and you don't want to go out of there. Cause you know, when you're out of there, you won't, it's hard to get back in there again. So, you know. But, yeah, so it's like you just stay in that rhythm, you know. And Terry Gilliam always said, like, um, momentum is everything. And you have to stay on that momentum. And once you lose your momentum, it's it's really hard to start that ball rolling again, you know. So that's that's always huge. And I always take that. It's from, like, a 12 Monkeys thing he was talking about. And I always carry that in my head. Like, you have to stay, just keep grinding your shit, man. Because, you know, once you stop, it's hard to keep it going. So good advice to any filmmakers or anybody out there actually creating so but uh yeah so and also too if you want to learn about creating or getting a hold of us you can get a hold of us at the franco observer podcast franco observer at yahoo.com you can find us on facebook or instagram uh franco observer podcast Uh, we also now have a donation button on the uh, franco observer podcast so you can donate to us if you feel the need to. Uh, you can Also, download and subscribe all the episodes. Uh, this is now sixty-four, so we have sixty-four. Actually, we have like sixty-five or sixty-six episodes now. Uh, I'm going to go all the way to one hundred seventy-five, one hundred seventy-eight, whatever films he did. So we're, third of the yeah, so we're a little over a third of the way through. So chugging ahead. So how long have you been doing? you been doing this for a while since uh, October or the end of October. So like about November. November, so December, January, February—yeah, almost, yeah, almost a year coming wow. up, on, coming up on a year. So
1: time flies. I remember when that started. I'm, all, oh, that's a cool idea. That's a great idea because Franco, he's got so many movies. Yeah, he can, you know. Yeah,
0: and I basically bought all these films, and I was like, okay, I bought all the books. And I was like, let's just start doing this. And I looked, and nobody had done it, a Franco podcast, and and I knew there'd just be content for days or years, really. Mm-hmm. So you know. You know, I like to always oh, do yeah. like way after too you much. you get
1: through the movies, you can go into the documentaries.
0: And... Oh yeah, all the other God, there's so much. Yeah, there's the music, then, and then there's there's films of his that he ghosted on that I could do episodes on. Those that aren't part of the official thing, like Virgin of saint Tropez or Mark of Zorro, or some of the ones behind me that you know, How the other deep ones do that. You want to go, Jason? Yeah, I know. Yeah, all the way to the end. You know. John Holmes style. <laughs> John Holmes meets Linda Lovelace. That's going to be the Franco canon. So, be the irresistible force being the immovable object. So, um, so I think that's a good, good end point for this. So, it's a good final scene. So, All right. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Moritz, Mr. Bob Worts, for joining us. Do um, you have any plugs or anything you want to add? Or
1: No, not really. I mean, I've got like a DVD collection coming out soon and... Uh, that's the main thing. It's like a bunch of shorts, some of them during the pandemic, you know, nice. like, like just being trapped inside and losing your mind. And yeah, you know, uh, I don't miss, I don't miss it. No, I don't either. It's nice being around people again. And being yeah, it's too. it's
0: good being out and like talking to people and being social and, and you know, doing all that stuff. And, and me, it's it's nice getting out and like, punching people again and body slamming people and you that's know nice. doing it from outside of my bedroom so that's good <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's hard to body slam somebody through a zoom you know it's, it's easier to grab them pick them up and throw them down the ring
1: so well, it's a very tactile experience it know? is it is it's, it's yeah, aesthetic.
0: it is <laughs> most deaf so alrighty well uh, with those I bid you adieu goodbye